We do not come into this world, we come out of it as leaves from a tree, as ocean waves, the universe peoples. Every individual is an expression of a whole realm of nature, a unique action of the total universe. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. Quality quote there. Do you know who it was, Matt? Tell me who it was. Gone. Well, it was only Alan Wilson Watts. As you spoke to uh, John about, we will hear. Yeah, so the reason why we stuck that at the beginning is because, yeah, a lot of the conversation I have with our guest this week, which is John Mitchell, and one of the reasons why we're putting this podcast out a little early is because ESA have a festival going on um, in London called ESA Space Rocks, of which John Mitchell is the front man for Lonely Robot, the headline act of the day. But there's loads and loads of things on, you know, on that on that particular day. Brian May's going to be it's there. Be awesome, yeah. Tim Peake's going to be there. Our mate Tim, Charlotte Hatherley yeah. is going to be playing from the Bandash. Yeah, formerly of the Bandash, I should say. Exactly. And Arcane Roots as well. The mighty Arcane Roots, great band. Get yourself down. And that's Sunday, is it, Matt? Sunday, all day. It's like loads of different things. So if you check out the ESA website and go to Space Rocks, you'll see that whole event. Unfortunately, we're not going to be there, are you? I'm in Germany. And where are you, Jamie? Oh, I'm just floating around somewhere in the universe, but we can't make it. Can't make it. God damn. Hell. But you should definitely get yourself down there. I've got an interview with John Mitchell in a minute. Very, very similar background to both of us, Jamie. <laughs> really has. Uh, unfortunately, he was... Just way more successful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, Hey, Matt. Yeah. Hey, Matt, you know what it's time for? What is it time for, Jamie? Science story of the week. Science story of the week. George is re- redoing our jingles, by the way. Oh, is he? He said the, the jingle was too lame, so he's redoing them. We need that, actually. So thanks, yeah, good, George. Good, good man. Um, but yeah, what headline this is, Space Diamonds Came From Lost Planet. Yeah. If that's what a headline is meant to do, Matt, draw you in to read the article, that's not a bad one, is no, it? It's a really good one. That, I picked this story up from the, the BBC and they went, then had to do a little bit of uh, rummaging around the internet to find the actual paper. So the actual yes. paper this is from is is, for, is one called A Large Planetary Body Inferred from Diamond Inclusions in a Uralite Meteorite by Farhang Nabiel et al. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, bang. Bang. Wow. So back in 2008, Jamie, there was an asteroid, 2008 TC3, that landed in the Nubian mm. Desert in Sudan. Right. It's full of diamonds, basically. Uh, and so all, wow. uh, so all these little bits of meteorite that are scattered all over that area uh, are called Almahata Sita. This study, one of its conclusions is that all of the, this particular type of meteorite come from a single planetary body. And there's quite a few reasons why they come to this conclusion. That's incredible. Imagine finding that in the desert. When you say full of diamonds, I don't think they're sort of massive, great big... No, of course not. But imagine (laughs) realising that a scattering of a meteorite contains diamonds from an exoplanet. Even more incredible is that you're able to infer that it's come from a, a very large body that maybe all of them come from. Oh, my God. One of the reasons is that the formation of this, the diamonds, etc., could only happen under enormous pressures, like unbelievably 
massive pressures, which means that right. the parent body of these uralite meteorites must have come from a body about the size of in between Mercury and Mars. I was just about to say, so we can rule out the fact that it's going to be from the asteroid belt, etc, etc, because of the size of it. One of the things that uh, has come up now is that that planetary formation models currently say that, that planets are formed by the accretion of lots of moons and Mars-sized planetary embryos. So you've got all these moon-sized objects and and Mars-sized objects flying around the early solar system and they're smashing into each other and uh, with high energy and and melting together and making larger planets. Now, one of these proto-planets, or sort of embryo planets, is the source of all these Uralite meteorites that come to earth which make up about one percent of the um mm. of the meteorites that collide with earth every year got but it they're full of diamonds well or you know tiny little diamonds that have been caused by the fact that they were under this enormous pressure because they were in such a large rocky body in the early solar system so here's a question mm-hmm. for you matt that you might not know is it the person who finds those diamonds who can keep them or do they belong to sudan or do they belong to someone else how does that work who profited off of those diamonds do you know what i really don't know Mm. mate is the diamond element of them worth anything or is it more the fact that they're a rare type of meteorite and therefore worth more to collectors or to or or to museums imagine a diamond ring matt Mm -hmm. that you could give to your fiance that comes from an exoplanet rather than on earth i mean surely that's got more value and this thing's obviously got smashed up at some point this proto you actually know that there was this proto planet that was important in creating the whole solar system itself and you know it's from that right homework homework of the week george do a jingle (laughs) find out who profited off of these diamonds were they more expensive do you like that matt i'm just setting yeah setting a little challenge for us i like it so yeah right in you know where we are um, anyone with a great explanation of yeah, what 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 these what these meteorites were actually worth? I've actually got some meteorites on my wall. Although, uh, and Have you? yeah, I'm actually a bit annoyed because Arthur knocked them off the wall, and then George knocked them off the wall and lost one of the little meteorites. So somewhere on my floor is a meteorite, and no one can find it. This little metal meteorite from Russia somewhere. And just so you know, listeners, George and Arthur are Matthew's buff butlers. So. Um... <laughs> Exactly. They look after the house. <laughs> uh, I love this story. Yeah, no, it's, keep going, man. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. And yeah, well, so many, there's so many more questions. So, how did they do it? They used high definition microscopy mm. and looked at wow. the composition of the diamonds left in the rock and came to those conclusions. Amazing. So cool. Really is cool. Who's our space legend of the week? Space legend of the week. Cool. We are getting through the jingles today. Yeah. Well, Matt, it's Robert Albert Charles Esnold Pelterry. Did I say that right? Well, he's French, so it's Robert Esnold Pelterry. Got it. What? Uh, obviously, our French listeners are probably going to kill me for that, but it's yeah. It, he's an absolute legend. I have not really heard of his name before, but. Mm unbelievably i don't really know why because really he's one of the massive names uh of astronautics and we'll get on to astronautics in a second because that's one of his kind of claims to fame uh you know so he's up there with solkovsky and oberth and goddard all those kind of people so he really 
you know, he doesn't get mentioned as much as those other three, does he? So he 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 should be. So I'm I'm addressing that. Well, we're going to talk about. Let's it. address it. Let's address it now. So born November the eighth, eighteen eighty one, died on sixth of December, nineteen fifty seven, and was a pioneering French aircraft designer and spaceflight theorist. I mean, to say he was a pioneering wow. French aircraft designer. He's an understatement. So remember, he's kind of born, he's a young man in the era of the Wright brothers. So he takes the Wright brothers plane and starts fiddling around with it. So he's the fourth person in France with a pilot license. But this is, get this, he invented the joystick. So that way of flying an airplane, he actually invented it. And that was his contribution to aircraft, well, one of many contributions to aircraft. Um, uh, running a company called REP, which was obviously Robert Esneau Beltre. Uh, and I love that it went on to make him rich due to the royalties on military aircraft in World War Two. So everyone was like, well, we need a joystick. <laughs> well, you've got to pay, you've got to pay Robert. Yeah, well, I, well, he only got it afterwards. He had to, he, he had to get that v- via the courts. He's like, well, everyone's using my Good joystick. Man. It's my invention. So it made him incredibly rich. And then he turned to his other passion, which was space travel. And space travel at the time was, was a joke. Everyone treated it as a joke. And, uh, mm. but, he, but he could see that there was a science in there. And he produced a paper in 1913. Um, and you can, I downloaded it, and it's really, really brilliant. Uh, um, and it... It has. It's called Consideration sur les résultats d'un allargement en Daphne des Meurtres, which um, that's very thanks. good. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's terrible, but it probably sounds almost right. Consideration of yeah. the results of the unlimited lightning of motors. Now, for those astute amongst you, you'll realise that that essentially is the rocket equation. And so uh-huh. he published the rocket equation in 1913, completely unaware of Solkovsky's work in 1903. So Solkovsky was 10 years ahead, but no one knew about it because obviously it was in, in uh, Russia, so no one was uh, mm. paying much attention. And he also proposed using atomic energy as a form of propulsion. Uh, and his major Damn. paper was L'Astronautique, uh, which was published in 1930. But before he got there... In 1927, he'd done his little rocket equation um, work, and then him and André Louis Hirsch and a science fiction writer called J.H. Rosny sat round and thought, what are we going to call the science of rocketry and space and everything? Uh, and J.H. Uh, Rosny came up with astronautics. And, nice. and so he in- so J.H. Rosny invented the word astronautics, which later became the kind of science word. Uh, uh, yeah. Annoyingly for Andre Louis Ursch, he came up with cosmonautics, <laughs> which of, oh, wow. which of course gets used as well. But um, but they 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 plumped for astronautics, and so the very first time astronautics is used is in a uh, on page sixty four of another paper written by Robert or Robert, uh, and this was the symposium for the French Astronomical Society. And it was called l'exploration par fusée de la très haute atmosphère. 
et la possibilité Beautiful. des voyages interplanétaires. Oh. So you can probably work that out. Rocket exploration of the very high atmosphere and the possibility of interplanetary travel. That is beautiful. So, yeah, this is, and this is age, this is like, this is in the 20s. <laughs> he's, he's doing things like this. So this is, this is the sentence that contains astronautics. Go on, then. It is rather curious to note that going from the means of locomotion on Earth to aviation and then to astronautics, one changes from the means of motion with velocities, changing at will, to the motion with constant velocities, and finally to the motion with constant acceleration. You sounded a bit like the policeman from Hello, Hello. <laughs> like all <laughs> English people doing French accents. <laughs> I was passing by the store and I heard a shit. <laughs> Brilliant. Yes. It's classic. Really, My favourite line in French by an English person is... I suspect everyone, and I suspect <laughs> no one. Inspector <laughs> Cluzo. Absolutely genius. Yes, and get this, Esna Beltier and André-Louis Hirsch, they, they came up with a prize called the Rep Hirsch, uh, hmm. after, obviously named after both of them, R.E.P. and Hirsch, which became Le Prix d'Astronautique, and it's the first... Um, astronautics prize in the world and it ran from 1929 to 1939 okay yeah not only that he proposed the use of rockets for ballistic missiles so that was you know soon going to become true and that was back in 1929 but something that we talked about quite recently because of exo mars and the way that it slowed down at mars uh Esno Peltier was a, one of the first pe- person, if not the first person, to suggest using aero braking, using the atmospheric drag to slow spacecraft down and to be captured by the gravity of the planet. So he's in 1929. He's realised that. So <laughs> that's almost a hundred years before. You know, we've got no excuses, have we? No. So, uh, yeah, 1930, uh, he persuaded the French War Department to study the concept of ballistic missiles, including using liquid propulsion. Uh, But during one of those tests, he managed to blow all his fingers off. (laughs) Oh, you're joking. Ouch. Ouch. And then war came, and he seemed to lose interest, and and that was really his, his contribution and never really came back to being a rocket legend, which is a bit weird considering how the Second World War kind of really accelerated that whole rocketry thing when all those legends coming out of it, like Von Braun, etc. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. What an interesting well, guy. What an incredible, incredible guy. Yeah, yeah, you should definitely talk about him to your friends in the pub and go, yeah, yeah, you, you, know, you know Robert Esnabeltier. You know. Robert, you know Robert. Hey, Matt. What's uh, what's NASA been saying? Uh, NASA have been saying, or a senior NASA engineer, has been saying that the first person to set foot on Mars should be a woman. So this is Alison McIntyre. Uh-huh. Alison McIntyre. So her her basis for this was that the that all twelve people to have walked on the moon were men. Yeah. Um, and then it's time to redress the balance. Yeah. And and why not? Eh? Why not? Why not? I instantly tweeted uh, our, our guest Jackie Bell and said that it should be her. Yeah, definitely. We're going to put together a GoFundMe page and uh, people can fund Jackie to become the first person on Mars. She's going to have competition, Matt, from Harriet. 
Oh, yeah. Our mate Harriet oh, yeah. Brettel. Harriet might be there. Down at Caltech. <laughs> yeah, you know? crikey. We're going to have, like... It's going to be... It's the race to, race to Mars. That's true. The only problem with saying a woman should be the first person on Mars is now when a woman who gets there by her own skill and the fact that they were the best person for the job, everyone's going to yeah. say, oh, they're only choosing because they're a woman. That's the only, that's the only problem with saying that statement, isn't it? So I hope that's not yeah, the case. Yeah, that's very true. The person that deserves to walk on, on Mars is the person that dedicated their entire life to that. Because there's only one way you can be the first person to walk on Mars, and that's as a child you had a dream and you absolutely worked your socks off and everything worked out well for you, and you were the first person to walk on Mars. It's, it's going to be, whoever does it, it's going to be the stars have aligned for that individual. Matt, who do you think the first podcasters on Mars should be? Well, that should undoubtedly be us, because we are the interplanetary podcast. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, I don't see why not. Do you think the, I think it would be good, Matt. I think the atmosphere would be good for some nice reverb. <laughs> Which would sound would sound good. I tell you what, we we in the vacuum of space, we'll get very good isolation between the uh, microphones. We will, wouldn't we? I think we shouldn't actually land on the planet, but stay on one of the moons. You reckon? Stay on Mimas, perhaps, and and just and uh, do the podcast from up there. That'd be our spot. Oh, I like it. Going down to the planet means you have to get back off it. Yeah, that's and then true. That old pesky rocket equation all comes back again. Oh. Unless, unless, unless we build an orbital ring round Mars. And walk over. We could build an orbital ring around Mars, build an orbital ring around Earth, and have that kind of corridor that goes in between, and walk one to the other. Job done. Well, luckily for you, Matt, that's my nickname in Sussex, Jamie Orbital Rings Franklin. Oh wow! I'll knock up a I'll knock up a simple equation for that. We'll sort it Is out. Is it your nickname in other counties as well, or do you have a nickname per no, county? No, I haven't stretched that far oh, yet. Okay. Yeah. So I've got some British news. Oh, finally. Go on. We mentioned a few weeks ago Carbonite 2, which, which is a, a satellite built by Surrey Satellites. Surrey Satellites, uh, Which is going to yes. come up again in, in a second. But, um, yeah, the Earth Eye. And it's a tiny little satellite that gives high-definition videos of the Earth. And it's, it's being commissioned now. And to celebrate, uh, Earth Eye have released some brilliant videos. Do you know what they videoed? Dubai Airport, Buenos Aires, Puerto Antofagasta, Rio de Janeiro, Diego Garcia, and Mumbai Airport. Isn't Diego Mas Garcia a person? <laughs> yeah, he's just very, very large, so they can That's see him. That's a hell of a camera. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's amazing. They, they, those video clips are un- unbelievable. You can see cars Matt, moving can we, on the can road. Can we post some of those clips up, yeah, please? Yeah, absolutely. That's going in the notes. I hope everyone's enjoying my notes. Beautiful. It's on our uh, website now. Every, every time I release a show, I do accompany it with notes, with videos and, and pictures to go along with the uh, podcast. What, uh, what website address is that, Matt? That's interplanetary.org.uk. Beautiful. Yeah, beautiful. Or just, just type it into Google, the Interplanetary Podcast. You get there. You get yeah. there. Some more British news. Go on. John Mitchell's interview, unfortunately, has bumped my Goon Hilly interview. But this week I was down at Goon Hilly interviewing a couple uh-huh. of people uh, there. Oh, I can't wait to hear them. Goon Hilly have announced with Surrey Satellites and another co- uh, company called Astrobotic that they're joining forces. Wow. Yeah, so th- there's a, the 34th Space Symposium in Colorado Springs where a lot of things are happening right now. Mm. So it's a long-term working relationship 
deploying leading-edge in-space communication relay services for Astrobotic, who are going to deliver uncrewed payload flights to the moon starting in 2020. Whoa. Yeah. That is sweet. So, yeah, those three companies, Astrobotic, Surrey Satellites, and Goonhilly, are uh, uh, clubbing together to make that Good all work, feasible. Guys. So it's going to be absolutely amazing. So the CEO of uh, Goonhilly, Ian Jones, said, the solutions resulting from this partnership will underpin the development of commercial as well as space agency operations on and around the moon. We are confident that with our combined expertise, resources and vision, together we will perform a pivotal role in enabling organisations of all kinds to benefit from the opportunities in space and on the moon. Bosh. Boom. And yeah, so if you listen to my interview next week with, uh, with Eddie Search from Goonhilly, you'll, uh, you'll learn how they actually communicate with satellites That's from there. That's a good name as well, Eddie isn't it? Eddie Search, yeah. Particularly considering yeah, he, he, he actually searches for satellites using yeah. Antenna 6 at Goon Hilly, which we went inside and he told us all about how everything worked. It was incredible or incredible, down as day. Robert would say. Beautiful. So, brilliant. At that same uh, space symposium, Orbital ATK have named their new rocket and it's going to be called Omega or Ooh. Omega. Right. I prefer the first one. Well, it's Amiga, but it's like Amiga with a capital A at the end. Omega. Was that the first watches on the moon, Matt? It's a make of watch, isn't it? Yeah. Was it the first watch that an astronaut wore into space or on the moon? Yeah, I think think it is. I think they are. I'll look into that. That, They were. They were the official watches of the Apollo mission. But I believe there there was another watch that Mitchell took to the moon, I think. I think. I can't Mm. remember. There's some story there. Um, yeah. yeah. Nice. So, yeah, a bit like the Atlas V, I suppose. Um, yeah, so it's going to gonna be tested next year in 2019, so that should be exciting. Also at that particular event, we had Strata Launch say that their first flight's going to be this summer. Strata Launch. That's the name, isn't it? The Strato Launch. Paul Allen from Microsoft, or formerly of Microsoft, using his... It's the, it's the largest wingspan of any plane ever. 128 wow. meters. So yeah, the, the videos of Strata Launch uh, taxiing down the runway are incredible. It's basically just looks it just looks like two massive jumbo jets tied together in the middle. <laughs> it's oh, just that's nuts. Yeah, it is. They are absolutely massive. But yeah, they're going to be launching Pegasus XLs from underneath this summer, apparently. Which which I'm finding hard to believe that if they're only sort of taxiing along the runway, I'd be surprised if I see that. Well, that's very exciting. And I'll tell you what else is exciting, Matt. Mm-hmm. SpaceX. Never heard of them. Well, Matt, you're going to have to do an extra shot, unfortunately. Officially announcing that SpaceX will start production uh, was Mayor Eric Garcetti, mm-hmm. Mayor of LA, that the produ- production development of Bill, uh, Big Falcon rocket was going to be at the port of LA. Wow. How sick is that? Yeah, so he's made that official announcement that yeah, BFR is going to be made in LA, and that's going to be that's going to be really cool, isn't it? When that starts, the vehicle holds the promise of taking humanity deeper into the cosmos than ever before. Certainly holds the Incredible promise of stuff. it. Holds the promise of it. Elon Musk, drink, drink, get it down, your son. Right, beautiful. 
Putin's been out there as well. Despite what's been going on in the world, there's there's a you know these are little nuggets of hope. Thursday, April the twelfth was uh, Yuri Gagarin's first person to go into orbit around mm. the Earth. So to celebrate, there is Cosmonautics Day in in Russia. Wicked. And so P- Putin made a few speeches. Uh, he did actually mention the tensions between Moscow and the West. Uh, but he did point out that that's not going to jeopardise the international space projects like the Lunar Orbital Platform Gateway, LOPG. Uh, and he said, do you want to do it? Do you want to do a Putin impression? Risk your life. <laughs> we are not going to upset anything or to quit these programmes. We are determined to complete them. We have partners in the exploration of Mars and the Moon, the United States... Canada, Japan, and the European Union. Wow. It's a good impression, Was it? Jamie. Yeah, I sort of veered mm. into German, I think, a little bit. Yeah, you veered into all sorts of places. Sorry, Poots. How about this one? And then Orbiter will come first. Then modules on the moon itself will emerge. At least that is what the plans are. I hope they will come through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh... Death. I'm sure okay. about that one. Yeah, good. No. Good. So hopefully, Jamie, by the time this podcast goes out, we'll have seen the launch of Tess on a Falcon oh, 9. Please. And hopefully we'll have seen Electron launch as well. Well, I think it's going to be a, a good time for everyone. And early next week, we should see, and Sentinerds out there, get ready for this, hopefully we'll see Sentinel-3B being launched on a rocket Oof. with a breeze M up a stage. Oosh, oh, get that in. That is huge news. And Matt, I know, you've got, I know you've got a space fact for me. Well, no, before we get to space fact, let's, let's listen to uh, my interview with John Mitchell. Oh, well, let's put it in. Do you want to do that? So, yeah, John Mitchell, just so you know, he's, he uh, maybe, I guess a lot of people will know him from It Bites, um, but yeah, he's played with loads of, different people Jethro Tulls Martin Barr he's played with him he's played with John Wetton he's he's produced people like you me at six and enter Shakiri and kids in glass houses enter Shikari, granddad oh, oh god, god. Oh, lower the Atlantis so he's basically an unbelievable producer as well as a great frontman of several great bands Do you, and this is my little chat with him and this is this is about ESA Space Rocks this weekend. So, a good day. Here we go. So, I'm joined on the podcast by um, John Mitchell, the frontman from Lonely Robot. Hello, John. Hello, Matt. Nice to speak to you. Now, so, uh, you're playing this weekend at ESA Space Rocks. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's uh, basically, it's going to be, in the evening will be the live music, and the music is going to be myself, Arcane Roots and Charlotte Hatherley, who uh, will have a vested interest in all things space. And during the day, it's two discussion panels, um, the, uh, and both chaired by Tim Peake. The first one is about space exploration in general. The second one is science fiction versus science fact, which will be uh, chaired by Tim Peake, Brian May, and various other. So it should be a very interesting uh, very interesting day, and there's lots of other things happening. There's uh, there's stands, and there's panels, and there's chats, and you can. It, it's going to be just an all day event, and it's going to be very exciting. Yeah, that, how did you get involved with the uh, with this project? As uh, did ESA reach out to you? Uh, 
yes, well, it's um, it's it's a chap called a lovely chap called Alex Miles, who's, who's you know one of the main organisers of the event, sort of reached out to me. I think he had uh, one of the Lonely Robot records, and he very much liked it, and he thought I'd be a perfect candidate for that. So he, he reached out to me about six months ago, and the rest, as they say, is history. But yeah, it's 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 a, it's a very interesting concept. You know, it's just trying to bring awareness to um, both space exploration and uh, science in general, which I think is is no bad thing. So it's something that's always interested me when I was. About eight years old, uh, the first thing I ever did was a public speaking contest talking about Mars. So I've always been a bit of a, uh, you know, a space nut. So this is like music to my ears that something like this has come along. No, absolutely. Well, we just described the whole purpose of our podcast as well. You've just said that you've, you you were a space nerd at a very, very young age. Have you always been a space nerd? Have you followed the, the whole space exploration thing all your life? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I've got more books on the subject of space exploration and, and you know, at, at, well, every angle, you know, um, Who Built the Moon, I think, is one of the last books I bought, although I'm not particularly <laughs> convinced about validity of the subject matter but yeah ever since i was a kid i've had a you know i've always I've, in fact if you, if you know you work around my house it's literally wall-to-wall science fiction uh, science fact books and I've got two telescopes set up and ready to go in my garden all times so only about two weeks ago um, we had a, 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 a clear day and i was i was busy photographing the moon so it's, it's something that uh, sort of weighs deeply in my life and it's always resonated with me i mean i i spent more time in the in the, the library at school when i was a kid reading up on all things to do with the solar system and I think anybody uh, had, had, had a right to do. So whilst some of the, 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 the you know, the minutiae of the facts and figures has, have disappeared over the years, I mean, uh, I, I at the time I was like a sponge and I just absorbed all, but it's certainly something that's uh, very prevalent in my life. What was the music that, that influenced you, first of all, and then have you got any favourites that cross over into space? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of... My main listening these days is science fiction soundtracks. I know that sounds quite a niche thing, but you know, I, as, as, a, as a musician, I'm also a producer, and I spend a lot of time producing sort of the sort of heavier end of the spectrum of bands. So you know, um, a lot of very disenfranchised middle class kids screaming about goodness knows what. So when I'm not in the studio <laughs> doing that, I kind of tend to uh, sort of, you know, I tend to like to sort of. Just chill out and listen to something a little bit more easygoing, but not too easygoing. So, like, I mean, the soundtrack to Moon by Clint Mansell is one of my favourite things. That's that's on the list, yeah, by yeah, the way. Good, good. Well, Sylvester's Contact as well. I always, uh, I mean, Contact's probably my favourite film. One of my, certainly in my top yeah, three right. favourite films. I mean, it, it, it kind of rotates with Blade Runner. It kind of spins around a bit. But, uh, um, yeah, I'd sort of, in terms of what I was influenced by when I was growing up, well, actually, you know, the, the usual stuff, I kind of always liked anything slightly conceptual. So when I was a kid, it was always uh, Iron Maiden, you know, in their sort of most, you know, in their weightiest tones, like <laughs> Rhyme the Ancient Mariner and things like that, which obviously isn't anything to do with science fiction. But uh, then somewhere in time came along, and that was a bit sci-fi, that was a bit sort of Blade Runner-esque. Um, and since that time, you know, then I kind of started delving into the cosmic realms of rock. So it was... Uh, I was heavily, heavily into death and, you know, um, and, you know, and then since that time, I kind of, you know, you kind of, I think you get to a certain age and you can't, you don't get stuck in a rut, but you tend not to reach out to new music as much as you once did. So, you know, as far as the realms of, of um, you know, science fiction and film score writing is, is kind of as, as far afield as I like to go. I kind of just really, really enjoy People like uh, um, Murphy as well, who did the Sunshine soundtrack. You know, that's an absolutely brilliant score. Um, yeah. And that's a brilliant yeah, film as really well. Good. You know, so um, I, I love that. To, you know, to to, 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 it's one of my, again, that's one of my, I've really got two, um, you know, favourite bands and favourite current things that I'm listening to. I've always loved The Police, and that was like my favourite band going up. 
not particularly spacey, I suppose. But well, you got know, walking <laughs> on the moon, haven't you? <laughs> well, walking on the moon was the first thing I ever bought. That's, that's pretty, oh, wow. Well, there then, you go. <laughs> quickly followed by the Wombling song, I believe. I was very young at the time. So, but yeah, walking on the moon was the first official thing that I ever, you know, that was the first um, seven inch that I asked my mum to buy from WH Smith. So it's, I've still got it, in fact. I and mean, it's, uh, it's a bit tatty now, but it's, um, yeah, there you go. That's a nice segue, isn't it? So, yeah, somewhere in time was actually my second gig I ever went to. Oh, was so it? yeah, so well, the, yeah, the, go, that tour. See. So yeah, we, we it's uh, one of the things I, I I remember showing Jamie is Jupiter or Saturn in a telescope. I think is one of those things where people just can't believe what they're seeing when they see it for the first time. No, they think you've put a sticker on the end of the lens, don't they? Yeah, they go, yeah. well, hang on a minute, that doesn't look right. The colours <laughs> don't look accurate, and then you try and explain. Uh, the way that light reacts to the atmosphere and of course it doesn't go down well <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so uh, tell us a little bit about the the lonely robot records that you brought out well i was kind of offered a you know i'd been um fronting it bites for a number of years and the wheels came off that night in a in a, in a in a particularly horrific way it's just that we we you know we had a, a few you know setbacks we we had a manager at the time who probably didn't necessarily have our best best interests at heart <laughs> and we did an album that i'm very proud of called math of the past and then that sort of you know i was a bit dis and dis disheartened when that came out it didn't exactly set the world alight in the way that i wanted it to and so i kind of went on a bit of a hiatus with writing music and then um i got approached by uh, the our glorious leader from inside out mr thomas father and he asked, uh, you know, I'd be interested in doing something else. And uh, and I said, well, I don't really... I sort of went into my megalomaniacal phase. So, yeah, I decided I didn't really want to do anything with anybody else. But he said, well, it would be great if you didn't, you know, go under the moniker of John Mitchell. And I said, well, I'm happy with that because it's, you know, people start buying buying it and expecting to listen to Joni Mitchell. I don't want to disappoint. <laughs> so I kind of came up with the idea of, of, of you know, trying to cover my of sci-fi uh, films, uh, you know, sort of heavy metal riffs and, and, and sort of cosmic uh, philosophy. And I came up with the idea of Lonely Robot, which, uh, which I like, you know, I, the, it's the, the Lonely Robot is a metaphor for, for humankind. And the first album called Please Come was kind of basically a concept album about the fact that, you know, I, I don't really think we're entirely not a hybrid species, you know. So um, I think that we are, you know, in some way devolved from a, a civilization um, off-site, shall we say, which is, uh, you know, kind of um, going out it's on a bit controversial. of a limb, there you go, yeah. that, that's <laughs> yeah. my belief. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, if you look at some of the, the civilizations and the cultures that have sprung up over the eons and the advancements and how far ahead they are from everybody else and then they suddenly disappear again, and you know, and it's, it, I don't think it's any, perhaps it's no particular coincidence that we don't seem to be particularly at odds with our environment to any degree you know i wrote a song recently called grey shapes on concrete fields which is about the fact that green seems to be rapidly disappearing which you know you could argue that everything else is kind of balanced and in, in in a circular pattern with its environment whereas we less so so you know we're kind of more at the destructive end of our of our own surroundings so that kind of makes leads me to believe that perhaps there is an element that uh, in our dna that kind of has led to this anomaly um so yeah that's how i got into lonely robot and i think he was a bit like well that's kind of you know heavy and that and then we did the album it did very well and we played the scala and sold that out and uh then i did another album called the big dream which was uh another sort of a weighty tone, was it a weighty musical tone? And yeah, that was um, yeah. Again, that was that was about another you know spattered with uh, 
philosophical meanderings. It's about the idea of uh, you know um, the, the solipsistic haze, whereby we're all kind of uh, you know are we are we inside somebody else's dream, which was another kind of uh, another another lightweight uh, observation. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that's that's where we're at. And then of course here we are, and about to start the third one. And um, uh, and I got asked to do this, so uh, we've come full circle. And, and Space Rocks came a knock in, and I said yes. Well, that just sounds like a, it's a it's a marriage uh, made in heaven. So the the concept of this uh, of the lonely robot is it like a, an astronaut from what i from the lyrics i've read and and kind of the re- reviews i've been reading it's it's about an astronaut's journey through space is is that roughly right or well yes i mean as i say that you know it's everyone goes are you are you the astronaut no, so, well the idea is that you know the album was called the first album's called please come home which is where i'm kind of alluding to the fact that we probably should go back to wherever we we as a race originated so that's kind of what it's about. But you use the singular vision of one person, an entity, the astronaut character who is, is, is trying to find his way back home. And the song Lonely Robot, and that's actually a nice reference to being um, uh, sort of abandoned on Mars. It's kind of, uh, it goes off on various different tangents, but it doesn't make sense to me in my head at least, <laughs> which is good because it doesn't seem to make sense to anybody else, but uh, it made, made sense to me at the time. The, yeah, the, it, it ties in nicely, doesn't it? Your your first speech with about Mars and then coming back to a lonely astronaut on yes, Mars. Yes, absolutely. What do you think about people like Elon Musk who are desperately trying to get us to Mars? Are you excited by the new space race? I think he's perhaps... I, I am excited, but I, I think his, uh, his projections are somewhat flawed. I mean, I don't think... Uh, you know, you could argue that uh, JFK's projections are flawed when he first made his, his grandiose statement um, way back when in... Was it 62, mm-hmm. I think it was? Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, you can, as a pioneer, or, you know, some people deride the guy, but, you know, certainly he has vision and he has, you know, he's he's got the finances to make it happen. I do think... Um, what was his projected date that he thinks we're going to get? Uh, I think it's not too far right. down the line. I remember thinking, I'm sure that's a little bit unrealistic. You know, people don't understand. I was chatting with Alex Miles about this the other day. People understand. They think, well, you know, it's the next stop on from the moon. But yeah. if you look at the, <laughs> it's difficult because when you're a kid and you look at, uh, you know, pictures of the solar system and obviously you, you can't draw the solar yeah. system to scale. <laughs> But, you know, the moon's 245,000 miles away and it's about a seven-day trip, whereas Mars is six months away, you know, and it, 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 you know, the, the, the difference in distance and, and, and sort of endeavour, you know, are unfathomable. So I, I think that, yes, I'm very excited by it, but at the same time, I think he's being a little bit unrealistic, dare I say. Yeah, I, I, I always come up with the analogy of the Earth to the moon is like swimming across a river and uh, Earth to Mars is more like swimming across the Atlantic. Uh, well, exactly. it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a completely different kettle of fish. Oh, I, 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 the, the, the Elon Musk uh, time frame is, is, a, is, is pretty much comedy in the old space, <laughs> space world, I think. But, yeah. he's, he's be, but he, has, he has been really successful with a lot of what he... And everything he's said he's going to do, he's kind of done, so we've got to give him some credit, I suppose. Well, well uh, we do, we do. And he is, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know he, is, uh, he is a futurist, as it were, and, you know, he is building tech, you know, to apart from chucking a, a car into space and creating a bit more space junk, you know, apart from that, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the prevalence of the eco car is in no small part down to the man himself. So, you know, he is to be applauded for his uh, achievements. Talking about that life coming from somewhere else, do you, do you read a lot about things like panspermia and, and things like that? Or no, is- Not really. No, no. I kind of, um, 
you know, Alan Watts is, uh, as I say, he was a, he was, a, he was of a similar belief. He's, it's, it's old school, you know, his, 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 his worldview. He probably didn't originate here, but if you read a lot of, or on YouTube, check out a lot of his uh, interviews. And he's the guy uh, who did all the voiceovers on the Big Dream. So you know, he's he's been quite prevalent in my uh, in my sort of belief structure over the years. You know. Um, and you know he was quite forward-thinking at the time, but he's he's kind of uh, you know I've read a lot of texts by him. He's he's you know he's one of the one of the guys kind of uh, who, who surmised that we might not be from here. But I haven't I, you know beyond that I'm a you know I'm a bit of a luddite I'm afraid. Thank you very much for joining us and and telling us a little bit about Issa Rocks, John. Is uh, what what so what projects have you got coming up after Issa Rocks? Well, Issa Rocks is I'm, I'm literally I'm doing a I, I play in another band called Arena and. We are uh, this, the, the reason for being in Devon, and indeed rehearsing Devon is trying to keep uh, three uh, directors cats in in one sort of category, trying to get us focused on the act of rehearsing. Then I'm doing a few gigs with them, and I'm literally after the one gig that we're doing, I'm jumping in the car and coming straight back down to London, ready for ESA Rocks on uh, or Space Rocks as it's known. I'm doing that on the yeah. Sunday, and then and then a week later I go for a tour around Europe with Arena for about two weeks, and and then after that I've got to start Lonely Robot Three, which is the third in the trilogy, as it were, which is going to be called Forty Two. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. For, ob- for obvious reasons, for humor, for humorous reasons to, to myself, and, and and I can I'm just looking forward to all the people. It's my sort of um, brown M M&M, and M. Uh, kind of in the contract, kind of you know, the, the people are going to go. Well, why is it called Forty Two? Well, if you have to ask, you should yeah, be doing yeah, it. And, yeah, that, you yeah. Know. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks very much. Thanks very much for 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 having a chat with me. That's that's no problem at all, Matt. And it's been a pleasure. It's just a lovely, lovely bloke. Super interesting and super annoyingly talented. It's probably what he says about me. Once we were off air, he did mention how annoyed he was by your talents. Thanks to him, I've looked up that Alan Wilson Watson, learnt a little bit more about about him. Yeah. So thanks for that, John. Great stuff. So get yourself down to the O2 on Sunday to see him in the flesh doing his thing. So he, yeah, Alan Wilson. Watts, yes. He kind of basically said that. Get this, this is quite a good sentence. He maintains that the whole universe consists of a cosmic self playing hide-and-seek. Lila hiding from itself, Maya, by becoming all the living and non-living things in the universe and forgetting what it really is. The upshot being that we are all it in disguise. Right. There's a line that he says that's very similar to a Carl Sagan line about we are the way that the universe knows itself. So I really like this quote Mm. as well. Through our eyes, the universe is perceiving itself. Through our ears, the universe is listening to its harmonies. We are the witness through which the universe becomes conscious of its glory, of its magnificence. Which I'm sure Carl Sagan then paraphrased many years later. They're wonderful quotes, as you say, sometimes a bit far out for me. But hey, Matt, it's not to say it isn't true. So yes, space fact, Jamie. Hit me. So... Often you see that space fact about how the sun is 99.9% of the mass of the solar system, right? Yes. So I was thinking about that and looked up this this thing called planetary mass. And planetary mass is Mm. quite useful. So obviously uh, in the solar system, you've got other, other, other bodies in the solar system uh, that are compared to the mass of the sun, but it starts to get, a little bit ludicrous because the mass of the sun is 
just preposterous. So even Jupiter is only 0.09 the mass of the sun. 0.09% the mass of the sun. <laughs> so tiny, while Earth is three millionths of a percent of the mass of the sun. So God. yeah, so it's not a very good measure. So what? So um, when comparing planets amongst themselves, you usually use Earth masses as the standard for the terrestrial planets, mm. and for gas giants, you use um, uh, and extrasolar planets. You use Jupiter. So do you want a, a rundown of some of the the stats of our own solar system? Do I? <laughs> So Mercury is only 0.05 Earth masses. That's that's tiny, isn't it? Venus is is 0.8, so that's quite big. Earth is one. Earth is one Earth mass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. how'd you get that? But it's only 0.0315 Jupiter masses. Oh. Mars, what's Mars in Earth masses? This is surprising. It's 0.11. Yeah, 0.11 Earth masses. God, it's tiny. It's pathetic. Jupiter is 317 Earth masses, whereas Saturn's a piffling 95. What about Uranus? Oh, well, that is (laughs) 14.6. Too right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Neptune? 17.2. Look at that. Okay. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely more useful to measure it in Earth masses. God, that's nuts. Jupiter's 317 times bigger than us. Yeah. The sun... That is big. The sun weighs 1.9884, or let's call it 1.2. No, let's call it 2. 2 times 10 to the 30 kilograms. Yeah, that's quite heavy, isn't it? Well, considering a million is 1 times 10 to the 6. It's almost what I bench press. 2 million, 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 million kilograms. (sighs) Oh. I don't know what to say, Matt, anymore. No, I'm a little bit confused by it all. I'm statted out. You've statted me. I've statted out. Hey, Jamie, yeah. what should people do once they've listened to this podcast? I would probably go to iTunes first, Matt. Mm-hmm. I'd probably say, I mean, if I enjoyed it, I'd probably give it a nice five-star review. Oh, excellent. Um, and then I'd probably hop over to Patreon and, and, and have a real hard look at myself in the mirror and ask this question. Did I enjoy it enough to donate the price of a cup of hot chocolate every month? If you didn't, then that's fine. But if you did, awesome. you'll become part of a very specialised crew mm-hmm. who has the ability, Matt, to help us construct our shows, to be part of the, the show itself, and also get some hench merch <laughs> and I don't say that lightly. People are people are talking about our merch, especially our t-shirts, Matt, aren't they? Oh, big time. Big time, big time, big time. We had a lovely Facebook message this week, didn't we? We did. Someone followed our advice, uh, a chap called Paul Hilton, who's also a patron of ours now. And Thank you, Paul. He's a genius. And yes, he he went up to the old uh, the Museum of Science and Industry in Manchester and, and visited Tim Peake's Soyuz capsule. And had a lovely day. Well, good man. Thank you very much, sir. So, and thank you for the support. Yeah, so we've become part of the tourist industry, the space tourist industry of Great Britain. I think, I think that's, that's basically true. Enjoy the sunshine, Britain, and um, wear some sun cream, yeah? Because you know how big the sun is, and you know how much heat 
is pushing on us, mm-hmm. just be safe. And if you are about, get yourself down to Greenwich on Sunday for ESA's Space Rocks. I'm really, really, I'm really chuffed that ESA have have started to really try and push themselves as a brand because that's something they haven't yeah, done. Yeah, it's is about it? time. It is isn't about it? time. Well done, ESA. And I like the idea, Matt, that people are going to go down just for the music, but then get caught up in the excitement of space, of the space industry. Yeah, what a great idea. And then maybe you know, maybe some people will be converted. And then be listening to our show before you know it. Yeah, someone's going to say, you know, I'm really into space. And then be turned off space before you know it. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Uh, Bye-bye, podcasts. Goodbye, listeners. Spotty, spotty podcasts. Bye-bye, podcasts. See you next week. Sorry about him. (laughs) 